Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. And as we start to near the end of this mini-series, today we're going to have a look at tradespeople. promise you we've just got one more to go in this series before we're going to move on to other things. So stick with it, just two more weeks and we're going to be moving on. Now, we're likely to encounter at least the following categories of tradespeople as either investors or developers. A builder, bricklayer, carpenter, joiner, plasterer, plumber, heating engineer, electrician, a painter or decorator, flooring fitter, or door or window fitter, a roofer, a gardener or landscaper, and a general labourer. Phew, that's a lot, isn't it? So what could possibly go wrong when trying to herd 13 or more different trades on projects then? Well, let's find out, shall we? Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Distrustatrader.com is my uh, working title for this episode, so uh, I guess you can see where I'm coming from. Anyway, let's begin with a couple of stories, the, uh, starting off with uh, a couple courtesy of Ian, who's a fellow, invest, fellow investor and friend of mine who shared the first two stories with me. And I'm going to use his own words because uh, they're quite eloquent, in all honesty. The first one I've entitled Falsified Invoices. And uh, you might gather that uh, sometimes, you know, there's a bit of collusion that goes on. And in Ian's own words, uh, my property manager was a rather large lady who also occupied the ground floor flat in a block. Uh, it was above, beyond the call, above and beyond the call of duty to ask that she stress test the floor joists, but she agreed. Unfortunately, the woodworm had been busy over the preceding 50 years and the floor was unable to uh, withstand this final onslaught. Luckily, she didn't sue me. However, my sympathy was limited because I had discovered that she was making extra cash from tradesmen at my expense. She would regularly find problems, which various tradesmen would quote for and would arrange, then arrange rather a profit share deal with uh, an inflated price that would be split between them. And this was extended to the window cleaner, which is how I found out. He told the neighbours that the mad woman at number 14 would ask for inflated receipts for cleaning the windows every fortnight, even though he only came once a month and charged half the price. The window cleaner couldn't understand why she would go to all this trouble and risk losing her job for literally a couple of extra quid a week. It's no wonder she didn't sue me. I was much more valuable to her as an extra income source. And the lesson learned... Keep tight control of the cash, get a minimum of three quotes for larger jobs, and pay the tradesmen directly in certain cases if you can. And the next one from me, um, does it sound right? I mean, how often do you really need to clean the windows anyway? 
The second one from Ian is uh, what's being called the incompetent person scheme rather than the competent person scheme. Again, in Ian's own words. Uh, then there was an electrician who was a member of the Blackpool Council recommended trader scheme. And he quoted for fitting card prepayment meters in each of the flats and to certify the electrics and fire alarm. Again, the cost increased when he suddenly discovered that most of the ground floor needed rewiring. Oh, well, at least the electrics will be safe, I thought. I rapidly changed my opinion when one of the occupants noticed smoke coming from behind, uh, so out, out of the meter cupboard. Fortunately, it didn't turn into a full-blown blaze, but another electrician was urgently deployed to fix the first electrician's work, of course, at my expense. Electrician number one, let's call him Sparky McScorchface, <laughs> was recommended by my accountant and is still on the council recommended contractor list. However, I can find nothing on his invoices at the time showing he was a member of a competent person scheme. And what are the lessons learned? Well, always check a tradesman is registered. So for electricians, use www.electricalcompetentperson.co.uk and for gas, it's www.gassaferegister.co.uk and both of those links are going to be in the show notes if you um, instantly forgot them so you can look them up. Second, trust your gut, not just the council website or recommendations. I mean, this guy could talk for England and was in the property for hours, but there was something not quite right about him. Can't quite put my finger on it, but maybe he didn't ask all of the relevant questions, seemed just a little bit too keen for the work, and didn't seem busy enough to leave promptly either. Get a fixed quote and a signed contract for any work, especially if it's over a couple of thousand pounds. And for any major works, always keep a snagging retention too. It's amazing how a signed contract and retention can concentrate the mind of any tradesperson and there's total clarity over the scope of works too. Next up we move on to uh, another pal of mine who's, uh, who's called Eugene and I've titled this one Tampa Bay Rowdies. As I mentioned, it comes from Eugene, and you might guess from the reference that it's a USA developer and development that we're talking about here. And uh, in Eugene's words, during a refurbishment of a property in Tampa, Florida, we hired a contractor to fit the house with a heating, ventilation, and air conditioning system, or HVAC for short. And it came complete with an external unit and internal duct working. And we agreed 30-day payment terms upon receipt of invoice. Although, on reflection, that may have been our first indicator of potential problems, given the arduous nature of arranging such payment terms. Whilst we usually part pay some money up front and then clear the balance on delivery or completion um, for our flipping projects, we were pressed uh, to ask for terms on this occasion due to a delay in the closing or completion of another property. And as with all, all our other projects, we gave the HVAC installation company the combination code to the lockbox that contained the keys to the property so that we didn't have to be on site constantly. The installation was nearing completion when we hired another contractor to frame and drywall the internal ductwork. 
And given this overlap, the HVAC installation owner was under the mistaken impression that they were paid, the alternative contractor that is, up front, and so they felt slighted. She made a call on a Saturday evening, requesting full and immediate payment, Saturday evening, bear in mind, threatening that she would get her team to remove the work that was done. Although we did have the funds available, by the time it made no difference. On inspection uh, on Monday, we were met with a gutted house and the HVAC unit outside had been removed as well. Although we had a written contract, you cannot legislate for such behaviour. We are currently in the process of assessing our legal alternatives and the cost-benefit ratio of taking legal action. Lesson learned, cash is king. Or rather, payments to tradespeople is king. If they balk at payment terms, it's best not to push them too hard, or they might just snap, as they did here, clearly. Be personable and keep tradespeople in the loop. It can help to avoid any misunderstanding. The next story actually came from one of her I was involved in and Damien was involved in. Uh, I titled it when Bodget and Scarpa were replaced by Detainee. Uh, so Damien was managing an out-of-area project when the general contractor, let's call them Bodget and Scarpa, left site abruptly never to return. And we managed to find a replacement who we shall call Detainee, who began completing what Bodget had started only to go extremely quiet all of a sudden. And we later discovered he has, or he rather became, a guest at Her Majesty's pleasure. And so was unable to finish the job, quite, quite obviously, uh, at least for another 28 days, apparently. But he then relayed a message to say that he could, in fact, come and complete the job once uh, he was available, <laughs> uh, providing someone could drive him and his electronic tag would allow him to. The lesson learned here is um, a new area represents higher risk of tradespeople let, let down. So try to build contacts and relationships in advance. Then stick with an area and a team if you can, uh, if you can to reduce the risk of being let down on subsequent occasions. The next one um, is what I'm calling a Jekyll and Hyde tale. And equally, Rod manages some of our projects for us. And he told me how one Jekyll and Hyde character would be as nice as pie during the day, but would abruptly turn into a ranting, abusive lunatic at night. He would frequently send a flurry of abusive, insulting and offensive text messages, including threats rather, to burn down our property if we did not release the retention for the work that he had botched and had not completed as well. The next day, he would apologise and blame the source he had been on the night before. The lesson learned here is switch the phone on to do not disturb, mo do, do, sorry, do not disturb mode before the watershed. <laughs> so what are the steps then where we can help to uh, protect ourselves in, in these sort of situations? Um, you know, there's a bit of humour that's attached to them, but there's a bit of seriousness as well, quite obviously. Well, I guess what you could say is that tradespeople are often good at their trade, but are often not so good at managing people, processes and business systems. So if you want professionalism, either go with experience or size, both of which cost more and are less available when we might ideally want them to be. Attention wanes as the job nears completion. 
So try and hold back some of the payment as a carrot or possibly to pay someone else to complete the job if they happen to leave site and just never to return. I've actually done this once or twice. <laughs> Had to pay off uh, the retention to, to get someone else to finish a job. Yep, it kind of happens. Personal recommendation and referral trump trader listing sites uh, such as Yellow Pages and Google. Check for qualifications, industry or trade membership, and of course, for public liability insurance. Insist on a copy of that, in fact, before you let anyone work on your property. Ask introducers or agents if they take any form of direct or indirect payments from tradespeople. Some will disclose it, some won't, whereas some have a handling charge that's buried away in the small print, but you might need to ask or look carefully to find it. Have a written agreement. You can set out the basics of an agreement in a few key bullet points in an email exchange. That is contractually binding. List the dates, progress payments and conditions. Uh, also identify the scope or specification of works and whether it's labour and materials, the pay rates, the exclusions and finally of course any retention that's involved. Remember, tradespeople often need to buy materials and pay staff, so do not stretch them on their payment terms unnecessarily. Finally, avoid cash in hand if you want any form of guarantee or recourse. And if you're not present or if you're not confident, then get proof of completion of works where possible, such as assigned delivery, certificates or pictures and video using you know, apps like WhatsApp. And as I reflect on my own experience and those of my buddies here, um, you know, there is <laughs> quite quite funny, I suppose, uh, uh, sharing some of these stories, but it's not really funny when you're on the receiving end, of course. But one consistent theme does seem to emerge. Tradespeople, in a surprisingly large number of cases, seem to be unreliable and let you down somehow. I think, I think this goes back to the point that I made earlier, that trades are often really good at their trade, but not always so good at managing the business side of their trade business or trade company. And you do also get what you pay for. So if a tradesman is freely available in these days of skill shortages, you have to wonder why. My golden rules are to find good people and pay them on time and then stick with them for the, for the next project. Okay, that's it. Perhaps short, short and sweet today, but uh, it's another horror story that we've shared again this week. As ever, the show notes are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. Or if you want to talk about anything from today's show or anything in this horror, horror story series, or more generally in, uh, with regard to uh, property investing, you know you can always email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and I'd be more than happy to hear from you. But once again, all I want to say is thank you very much for listening. Uh, this week and until next time on the Property Voice podcast is ciao ciao thank you for listening today now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list join us next time on the Property Voice podcast and if you enjoyed the show please don't forget to rate us on iTunes